Welcome to Worldview from the Irish Times. I'm Dennis Staunton. Later, we'll hear from Jerusalem on mounting tensions between Israelis and Palestinians following the murder of Palestinian teenager Mohammed Abu Khader, apparently in revenge for the earlier abduction and murder of three teenage Israeli settlers in the West Bank. But we begin in Germany, where allegations that an employee of the country's foreign intelligence service has been selling secrets to the United States have put a fresh strain on relations between Berlin and Washington. The man is suspected of handing over more than 200 documents to U.S. intelligence over a two-year period in return for €25,000. Chancellor Angela Merkel says that if the allegations are true, they represent a serious breach of trust between the U.S. and Germany. Hans-Peter Uhl, a member of the Bavarian Christian Social Union, which is part of Angela Merkel's government, has accused the U.S. of behaving like a digital occupying power and other politicians are calling for American spies to be expelled from Germany altogether. The arrest of the alleged spy has fueled popular outrage in Germany over American surveillance activities after former U.S. intelligence analyst Edward Snowden revealed that the U.S. was spying on millions of German citizens, including Angela Merkel herself. To discuss the latest allegations, I'm joined from Berlin by our correspondent Derek Scally and here in studio by Patrick Smith, foreign policy editor of the Irish Times. Derek, what do we know about this alleged double agent? Well, we know that he's 31 years old, that he was working for the BND, that's the German Foreign Intelligence Agency, for about nine years. Um, He is based in Munich, and uh, over the last two years, he's been handing over around 218 classified documents to people who he claims were the CIA. And um, the German domestic intelligence got wind of this two weeks ago, when apparently he... um, used the same approach to the Russians um, and just sent him an email and said, would you be interested in some documents? Apparently that's what he did two years ago, sent an email to the American embassy in Berlin and somebody from the CIA got in touch with him. And so that's what the uh, domestic intelligence are interrogating him about. And the the really interesting question is whether it really was the CIA or not. The man claims it was, um, but the Germans aren't so sure. And that's uh, where the investigation is at the moment. It's caused huge upset, um, particularly in the light of uh, last year's allegations about Edward Snowden, or rather the drip-drip of allegations uh, from the Snowden files. And uh, Angela Merkel has uh, been cautious, but says this is a serious issue if it is what it appears to be. And um, German politicians here at home, she's in China, German politicians here at home are jumping up and down with rage, uh, calling for all sorts of uh, drastic, draconian measures. And this uh, sense of outrage seems to go across the political spectrum from left to right. Yes, I mean, there's definitely a sort of a, a, a morality tone here. There's, um, the, the problem is really German society in, in the post-war decades has always had sort of a, a mixed view towards the Americans. There's one camp that is extremely pro-American and is forever thankful for the American and the Allies' efforts to uh, build up particularly West Germany. And then particularly since the late 60s, there's been a strong anti-American um, camp, and uh, they see themselves as being right. We knew the Americans weren't the goody-goodies the other camp claim to be, and the, the people who've been uh, cheerleaders for America all over the years feel feel betrayed. So there's definitely a, a morality side to it, and plus there's a strategic side. Germany says we don't spy on our allies, and we just presumed it was the same with our other allies, particularly NATO allies, and um, apparently uh, this isn't the case, and uh, the U.S., 
is now expected to explain what it does and why. Um, whether it will or not is another matter because since the Snowden revelations, um, we've realized that even when they're supposedly caught out, the Americans are, are quite sparing with information. And Derek, uh, Germans do seem to have taken these uh, Snowden revelations more to heart than many others. Is there a particular sensitivity where surveillance is concerned? Oh, of course. You look back to the history of Germany. I mean, if a country that's been through two dictatorships, two um, dictatorships that have abused uh, data collection on a vast scale, even if it was in the analog era, people here know what you what damage you can do with secret police and uh, even just card indexes. Uh, update that to the digital age, and the notion of massive uh, data dragnets just causes hysteria here. The notion that um, Google or Facebook are basically Trojan horses for the U.S. These are the attitudes you hear quite a bit. You see that reflected in the data protection debate as well. And um, they accuse the Americans of just um, perhaps having a a, de- a tin ear when it comes to German concerns. They just see the hysteria and they don't see the historical basis for that. Paddy Smith, the White House says that it's going to work with Germany to try to resolve this spying row. Can we expect any change in the way the US behaves? Well, clearly not, because when the Snowden uh, revelations broke, uh, Germany tried to have talks with Washington about um, putting their intelligence cooperation on new footing. And in May, these talks uh, collapsed uh, largely on the basis that the Germans were insisting that there would be a no-spying deal done, that the Americans would promise that they wouldn't spy on the Germans. And the Americans said, uh, somewhat disingenuously, that uh, they couldn't possibly do this because everybody would want a no-spying deal all of their close allies would want one too and uh, they, that, that obviously wasn't satisfactory so an attempt to bring to, to get the Germans involved in closer exchanges of intelligence material collapsed and uh, inevitably uh, another American um, spy was found and, and uh, that's what's happened now. And, uh, and, and Paddy, uh, Germany as you said is a key ally of the US and Europe and it's been looking for a close, uh, closer intelligence operation but uh, the US is not inclined to allow Germany into the absolute inner circle of intelligence sharing which is this so-called Five Eyes system. What is Five Eyes and who's in it? Well, Five Eyes was a, uh, an alliance initially between the Americans and the, and the British, uh, created in close secrecy in the in the immediate aftermath of of the war, uh, to to share uh, signals intelligence, and the group Five Eyes. Well, it was initially two eyes, but was expanded to five. Uh, in the course of the 1950s, uh, when the New Zealanders, the the Canadians and the Australians were also invited to to join in. There is a sort of wider group of known as Nine Eyes and a Fourteen Eyes group further further out, and and the Scandinavians and other uh, NATO allies of of the Americans and the British uh, joined those in the course of time. But one of the reasons that the the, the Americans wouldn't let the Germans in, for example, is is the reason that they give. Uh, about the French. They're quite blunt about why the French would not be allowed into Five Eyes, and that's because, according to the Americans, they spend far too much time spying on the Americans. Derek, there's another case that's been attracting some attention in Germany, and that's that of a Bavarian student called Sebastian Hahn, who says that the Americans have been spying on him. What's that all about? Yes, until now, all we've known for sure is that uh, the NSA was listening into Angela Merkel's private mobile phone in the past. They've agreed not to do that in the future. But uh, uh, after that, it was really all just very vague general notions of great data collections. But now he he emerged last week as the second name to emerge 
from the Snowden files. Um, an IP address uh, traced back to his internet connection um, turned up, and he is responsible for a server in Germany, which is part of the Tor network. The Tor network is some, it's an anonymizing network. If you want to go on the internet and you don't want anyone tracking you back, you can go onto the Tor network. It redirects your traffic through several servers, anonymizes it as you go, and this is quite popular among people like Edward Snowden and um, his allies. Uh, and he is operating one of these servers in Germany, and he says it's an absolute disgrace that just because he's encouraging people to um, block uh, eavesdropping, that he's now considered a, a threat by the NSA or at least a legitimate target. So he's taking that to court. That could be interesting because that might force answers more than uh, we've seen in the past. And indeed, Berlin, uh, Derek, has become something of a haven for these kind of digital exiles, uh, various people who regard themselves as dissidents uh, against, uh, against this kind of surveillance system. Is that right? Indeed. I mean, it almost seems to be like we're having a renaissance in uh, Berlin as a as a as a, sur- a surveillance and also espionage capital. Not since the Cold War, really, has this been such a big deal. The BND, incidentally, the Foreign Intelligence Service, is just moving to Berlin, building a massive uh, headquarters. And uh, many people are curious about why would you want to move into the center of a city? It makes it far easier to be spied on. And I think when it comes to Americans not wanting to work with the Germans, it's very much like that. They're saying, well, you, know, you, wa- you want us to share information with you, but we had a spy in, in your midst and uh, you didn't know about it until you came across it by accident. So I think the notion in American circles is that the BND just isn't very good. Let's remember 2001, the September 11 attacks were planned here and the German intelligence didn't know anything about it. And I think the Americans say, well, we may uh, have underestimated your, your historical fear of spying, but you uh, perhaps don't understand just the sense of uh, uh, being caught out and the sense of, of injure, injury uh, in the US after the September 11 attacks. And this happened on your turf. So uh, we're not really in the mood to work with you. But uh, so you've got the domestic intelligence demanding more. You've got the Snowden acolytes in Berlin demanding uh, greater German action against the Americans. So, yes, it's, uh, it's, it's really hopping here in Berlin. And, and finally, Derek, uh, the interior minister of Germany, Thomas de Maizière, has spoken of a 360-degree surveillance of all intelligence-gathering operations in the country. Can we expect some serious action by the Germans against the Americans and other foreign intelligence agencies in, in Germany? Well, that seems to be the only uh, acceptable thing that they can do because they've seen from the Snowden affair that they really can't, they have no leverage with the Americans. They thought the Snowden affair was so shocking that the Americans would suddenly give them everything they wanted. They didn't, so I can't really see that this will change anything. So the only action here uh, that Merkel seems to be able to take is, well, what do we do uh, in our own back garden? And if they choose to spy on everyone else, well, probably they'll just join the club that everyone else has been a member of for quite a while. Derek Scally in Berlin, thank you. You're listening to Worldview from the Irish Times with me, Dennis Staunton. This week has seen dozens of Israeli airstrikes on the Gaza Strip in its biggest operation against Palestinian militants in Hamas since 2012. For its part, Hamas has fired hundreds of rockets into Israeli territory and both sides look set to escalate a conflict that both say they don't want. The military escalation follows the arrest of six Israelis for the brutal murder of a 16-year-old Palestinian, Mohammed Abu Khader, apparently in response to the earlier abduction and murder of three Israeli teenagers in the West Bank. Amid violent clashes between police and young Arabs in East Jerusalem and Arab towns in Israel, some of Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's allies on the right are accusing him of exercising too much restraint. 
but moderate Israeli commentators have warned in recent days that the extremists responsible for killing the young Palestinian have been nourished on a diet of hatred by right-wing Israeli politicians. To discuss the situation, I'm joined from Jerusalem by our correspondent Mark Weiss, and Patrick Smith is still with me here in studio. Mark, both Israel and Hamas say that they don't want a military conflict. So why do they seem to be sliding towards war? We are definitely uh, in a situation at the moment uh, of spiralling out of control. Um, the conflict seems to be intensifying uh, by the day. Um, there are probably many reasons why we've reached this stage and probably uh, things will, will get worse before they get better. One of the key factors is the absence of uh, clear, uh, a powerful uh, mediation. Um, in the past, we've had, this isn't, of course, the first round of violence between Israel and Hamas uh, in the Gaza Strip. In the past, Egyptian intelligence stepped in, um, using its uh, good contacts with both sides, and eventually drew up a ceasefire arrangement. However, the current regime, well, President al-Sisi, uh, is on very bad terms with Hamas, who they label as a terrorist organization. And basically, Hamas leaders uh, over the last few days have been refusing to answer the phone calls from Egypt. So we are lacking a serious mediator here that could uh, at least begin a process that would end in some kind of truce. Um, Israeli leaders, as you said, and Hamas uh, have been saying over the last few days they don't want to... Uh, uh, further escalation. However, last night, as far as Israel concerned, uh, was a turning point when uh, some 70 missiles, rockets were fired at Israel in just in about a one and a half hour period. It's quite clear that uh, no uh, elected government uh, could ignore this kind of barrage, which left uh, more than a million Israelis uh, sitting in bomb shelters. And the early hours this morning, Israel launched um, an intensified uh, military operation, which already has a code name, uh, Protective Edge, uh, launching uh, some 60 air raids into the Gaza Strip. Throughout the day, air raids have been continuing, as indeed has the rocket fire. And we have, so far uh, today, 10 Palestinians killed in Gaza and 80 injured, and more than 50 rockets inside Israel. And Mark, uh, so far, as you say, it's been from the Israeli, uh, it's been an air war in so far as uh, the Israelis have been launching air attacks on Gaza. Is there any prospect uh, or risk that uh, that Israel will decide to send in ground troops? The risk certainly exists. Um, it would probably occur in one of two, under two scenarios. Firstly, if uh, these rockets coming into Israel, um, for instance, hit a, uh, a residential building and cause a large number of casualties, uh, particularly fatalities, or if the militants uh, decided to launch their longer range missiles at the greater Tel Aviv area, or it could be some kind of limited military ground operation. For instance, if Israeli intelligence uh, could could pinpoint uh, maybe a cache of uh, long-range missiles. Troops could be ordered in in a very small-scale operation um, to find those missiles and destroy them. However, it's quite clear that Israel does not want to reinvade Gaza, if at all possible. This would be a messy operation, met, probably taking many months, with heavy casualties on both sides, and would, of course... Um, 
um, raised the question of what happens next. It's quite possible that if Israel toppled the Hamas regime, what would come afterwards could be much worse, probably similar to what we've seen in Somalia or uh, in more current days in Iraq and Syria. Uh, Foreign Minister Avigdor Lieberman has ended the alliance between his party and Mr Netanyahu's Likud. Why is that? Mr. Lieberman, uh, when he took the decision yesterday, uh, said that one of the key factors was indeed disagreements on how to respond to um, the rocket fire from Gaza. For many years, Mr. Lieberman has been advocating uh, a a tough stance uh, vis-à-vis Hamas in Gaza, saying that uh, Israel will only be able to stop rocket fire by toppling the Hamas regime, which would entail uh, a ground invasion. The Prime Minister, on the other hand, has been much more cautious. He is uh, someone who um, does not easily sign on to military adventures um, and will avoid a ground offensive if at all possible. Uh, However, there is a deeper political um, rationale behind the move of Mr. Lieberman. Elections uh, may well take place in Israel next year. Certainly that's what political analysts are talking about. And I think uh, Mr. Lieberman wanted to um, set himself aside from Mr. Netanyahu, setting himself up as a right-wing uh, alternative to him. Uh, and so do, we, uh, do you think that this is uh, a precursor to the end of this coalition? Not necessarily. Uh, certainly the opposition in Israel uh, uh, described it that way, saying this is like the first nail in the coffin, the beginning of the end of the coalition, if you like, but Mr. Lieberman made it clear that he certainly wasn't resigning as foreign minister, uh, and he has no intention, at this juncture at least, of uh, moving uh, to bring down the coalition. Last week, uh, Mark, Israel was united in mourning for the uh, three uh, teenage Israeli settlers who were kidnapped and murdered on the West Bank. What has been the response in Israel to the murder of the Palestinian teenager, apparently in response to those murders? Oh, across the board, uh, a response of shock and disgust. Um, Traditionally in this country, uh, every time there's a horrific terrorist attack by Palestinians against Israeli civilians, you always hear Israelis say that uh, we are not like them, that uh, Jewish um, uh, people, even Jewish extremists, could never do this kind of thing. And here, uh, for the first time, uh, Israeli extremists have done uh, carried out such a terrible attack, burning a child alive. Um, It it, it really has uh, been a response of shock and disgust. Paddy Smith, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu has drawn a contrast between how Israelis react to the actions of Israeli extremists and how Palestinians react to extremists on their side. And he says that while Israelis arrest and condemn and punish their extremists, Palestinians celebrate them and name streets and squares after after Palestinian extremists. Is Mr. Netanyahu right? No, I don't think he is, and I think that he's not. Um, he his view is not necessarily the view, the unanimous view of, of Israelis. There's a, there's quite a striking um, editorial in in Haaretz. Um, in the last couple of days, which uh, is a liberal uh, paper opposed to, to the government, but still a supporter of, of very much a supporter of Israel. And it, it says that Abu Khaydir's uh, murders, murderers are not Jewish extremists, they are descendants of builders of a culture of hate and vengeance that is nurtured and fertilized by the guides of the Jewish state. 
those for whom every Arab is a bitter enemy simply because they are Arab, those who are, were silent at the Beitar Jerusalem games when the team's fans shouted death to Arabs at Arab players. Uh, and, and it's saying that there has to be a profound change in the culture, uh, political culture in, in Israel, among in the Jewish community, uh, that the, the response of the government uh, simply to label um, the... the um, killers of this child as as Jewish extremists is is to profoundly misunderstand the depth of sectarianism and hatred in Israel. Mark, can I bring you in here and ask you just uh, this editorial that uh, Paddy was just quoting from there from Haaretz, how widespread is that view in Israel that, uh, that, that this shocking murder actually says something more about Israeli society than simply about a few extremists? Look, there is widespread racism in Israeli society, particularly amongst young people. There is um, very prevalent anti-Arab feeling, um, not, of course, to justify it, but uh, when you have a society that has faced uh, so much um, animosity, uh, outright hatred from its Arab neighbors, uh, including many years of terrorist attacks, then uh, some people would describe this, uh, would say it would be difficult growing up in this kind of environment, uh, particularly amongst young people, uh, not to have these, uh, these uh, at least some of these kind of feelings. But, but there is uh, an extremist fringe. We see many of them in the West Bank on these illegal outposts on the hilltops, mm a law to themselves to uh, uh, to a certain extent the security forces have been uh, either unable or unwilling to uh, to to combat these constant price tag attacks these racist attacks against innocent palestinians that are carried out all the time by these groups but we're talking a few thousand people i think and it's from probably from these uh, fringe elements that are often rogue youths who have fallen from uh, educational systems, who uh, follow the, the teachings of extreme rabbis, such as uh, Rabbi Meir Kahana, uh, the American uh, extreme right leader who, who was assassinated, um, who carried out uh, this horrific killing last week and um, may well strike again unless the Israeli uh, uh, law enforcement finally managed to tackle them uh, in, in, to an extent that they also uh, successfully uh, tackle Palestinian extremists. Uh, Paddy, even before this outrage, Israel appeared to be losing the battle for international public opinion, certainly in Europe. What does Israel have to do to change that? Well, it takes two to tango, so it, it's a question of, of, of both sides having to change their behaviour. But it, it's true, uh, I think, that there will be a sense of despair in, in, in the capitals of Europe about the, the drift in the, last, in the last few days. I think that what we were seeing before the latest outburst of, of violence, before the kidnappings of the Israeli teenagers, was uh, pressure from European capitals on... Uh, Israel to um, recognize the government that that um, Abbas had had established between the PLO and and, and Hamas uh, recognized that Hamas had to be part of of any solution uh, and that that process of of weaning 
Netanyahu away from from this this refusal to recognize uh, that government was was underway. It wasn't wasn't going very far, very fast. But uh, it it was certainly has been cut across completely by these events. And I think I think that the general sense in Europe is is of despair at the moment. And Mark, finally, is that despair justified as we watch uh, the events unfolding in Israel and Palestine today? It certainly seems that way. Uh, uh, It's difficult at this juncture, at least, to see any flickers of hope. And the background, of course, is the uh, total breakdown of peace talks between Israel and uh, the relatively moderate Palestinian Authority. Uh, The horrific killings on both sides of the three Israeli teenagers, followed by the Palestinian youth from Jerusalem. And, of course, where we are now, which is... uh, low-level warfare uh, along the Gaza border border and throughout southern Israel. Um, Even if a ceasefire is eventually reached uh, to end this current cycle of violence, uh, the the medium and long-term prognosis doesn't look good. Um, You know, there 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 seems to be little hope for light at the end of the tunnel, uh, certainly from where I'm sitting in Jerusalem at the moment. Mark Weiss in Jerusalem and Paddy Smith here in Dublin. Thank you. And that's all from this edition of Worldview. You can read more about all our stories on irishtimes.com or contact us at worldview at irishtimes.com. But from producer Sinead O'Shea, sound engineer James Davis, and from me, Dennis Staunton, goodbye.